It's Saturday, November the 13th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Bannon indicted and COP runs past deadline. First, the week in brief. A federal grand jury in America indicted Steve Bannon, a former advisor to Donald Trump, on two counts of contempt of Congress. He had refused to comply with subpoenas issued by the Congressional Committee investigating the Capitol riot on January 6th, claiming executive privilege. If convicted, he could face up to a year in prison on each count. The scheduled ending for COP26 came and went on Friday, with no final decision in sight. Countries are still haggling over a possible commitment to phase out coal and fossil fuel subsidies, financing for those suffering most from climate change, a framework for a global carbon market, and a way to judge whether countries are meeting their targets. American consumers are getting gloomier about the economy. Concerns over rampant inflation dragged the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index down to its lowest level in a decade in early November. Separately, 4.4 million American workers quit their jobs in September, the highest number since records began. Demand for labour remains high. There were 10.4 million job openings at the end of September. Johnson & Johnson, the world's largest healthcare company by sales, announced plans to separate its consumer health division into another publicly traded firm in the next two years. The lower margin unit, maker of Tylenol, Band-Aid plasters and Neutrogena beauty products, generates 15 billion US dollars in revenues a year, compared with the pharmaceutical arm's 77 billion US dollars. Other healthcare firms such as GSK, Merck and Pfizer have shed their consumer health divisions in recent years. Corporate breakups are clearly in fashion as a special committee at Toshiba presented a plan to split the Japanese conglomerate into three parts. The decision, emerging from a five-month review, comes on the heels of General Electric's own tripartite split. If approved, its energy and device-making businesses would become offshoots. Toshiba's board had been weighing the option of taking the whole company private, but angry shareholders dissuaded them. AstraZeneca will now charge for its COVID-19 vaccine, abandoning the non-profit model it adopted at the start of the pandemic. Poor countries will be exempt. Pascal Sorio the pharma company's chief executive, justified the change by noting that COVID-19 would soon enter its, quote, endemic phase. Advocates for waiving vaccine patents were unimpressed, noting that the firm's jab was 97% publicly funded. The Dutch government is set to declare Western Europe's first partial lockdown of the winter in response to worsening COVID-19 numbers. The Netherlands registered a record 16,364 new cases on Thursday over a 24-hour period. Meanwhile, Germany declared neighbouring Austria a high-risk area, 
meaning that people arriving from there to Germany who have not been vaccinated will now have to quarantine. And word of the week. Gain of function. Adjective. A form of genetic manipulation on microorganisms. And now, here's today's agenda. Huddling masses. Eastern Europe's border standoffs. Just in case one border saga wasn't enough, another might be kicking off. Alexander Lukashenko, Belarus's dictator, gave the EU a fright by flying in thousands of Iraqi migrants and sending them to the Polish border. But the threat of EU sanctions caused Belavia, the state airline, to declare a truce. It will no longer let Iraqis board flights to Minsk, the capital, which ought to help stem the flow of arriving migrants. Thousands remain stuck at the Polish border with nowhere to go. Ukraine has sent 8,500 troops to its northern border with Belarus, just in case they head south. Another border crisis is brewing on Ukraine's southeastern frontier with Russia, where nearly 100,000 Russian troops have quietly massed in recent days. Russia has pulled that ploy before, but this time its tactical manoeuvres have America worrying about an invasion. European diplomats looking to unwind after a stressful week are unlikely to have a restful weekend. Cleveland Rocks, the Krishna-lifting Mount Govardhan The Krishna-lifting Mount Govardhan, a statue of the Hindu deity crafted in Cambodia nearly 1,500 years ago, was long ago broken into fragments and spread haphazardly across America, Cambodia and France. Most of the statue eventually came to rest in the Cleveland Museum of Art. A statue of similar origin, the Nom Pen Krishna, found its way to the National Museum of Cambodia. But for years, fragments of the two had been repeatedly misidentified, meaning they were added to the wrong statue. Now, those errors have been corrected. In a series of exchanges, limbs once wrongly thought to belong to the Nom Pen Krishna have been returned to the Cleveland Krishna and vice versa. The result of this years-long forensic process is an exhibition, held in Cleveland, of Cambodian art that traversed three continents to find itself and the first unveiling of the statues as they might have looked hundreds of years ago. Following your gut Microbiomes and behaviour Despite its name, the microbiome, an ecosystem of microorganisms living in the body, plays a big role. Apart from profoundly affecting the immune system and metabolism, the gut microbiome has been linked to certain behavioural conditions in adults. There is no consensus about whether microbiota cause such conditions or the other way around. But a new study published in Pediatric Research, a journal, may offer a clue. Researchers took stool samples at repeated intervals from 260 babies to see what their microbiomes were like before any such conditions were diagnosed. When they assessed the tot's behaviour at three years old, 
several associations emerged between gut flora and indicators for behaviours such as anxiety and hyperactivity. Intriguingly, these markers were different for boys and girls, even before the sexual organs begin to exert a hormonal effect. In the future, sex-specific probiotics might be designed to treat more than poor digestion. Into the rough. Golf, cash and the Middle East. Football fans have long grumbled that money is ruining their sport. Now it's golf fans' turn. Saudi Arabia hired a former world number one, Greg Norman, as its frontman and is set to invest a reported 200 million US dollars into the Asian tour. The European tour, a rival tournament, this week secured a huge sponsorship deal with DP World, a logistics firm with ties to the government of the United Arab Emirates. It guarantees prizes of at least 2 million US dollars for each of its at least 47 events in 2022, which it hopes will help it compete with Saudi's cash. But quick money from Middle Eastern governments involves moral compromises. Just ask fans of Newcastle United. The Saudi government recently bought an 80% stake in the English football club, leading to cries that it is using sports to obscure its human rights record. The term sports washing may soon enter golf's glossary. Profile Sara Duterte, the second President Duterte? Sara Duterte was born into what would become a political dynasty. Her grandfather was a lawyer and a provincial governor. Her father, Rodrigo Duterte, also a lawyer, served as mayor of Davao, the Philippines' third most populous city, before becoming the country's president in 2016. Ms. Duterte followed her progenitors into law, then took on Davao's mayoralty. Now she may well follow her father into Malacanang Palace. The constitution denies Mr. Duterte a second six-year term. Having his daughter in power, however, could allow him to retain influence over the government. After weeks of political posturing by father and daughter alike, Ms. Duterte registered for re-election as mayor of Davao on October 2nd, disappointing supporters who had been pasting Run, Sara, Run! posters urging her to aspire higher. Then on November 9th, Ms. Duterte withdrew from the mayoral race. She seems poised to confirm the country's worst-kept secret, that she will run for president, or at least vice-president, next May. If she is to do so, she must declare by Monday. Like her tough-talking father, she is hugely popular. As mayor, she once punched a court official who got in her way. But her language and demeanour are less aggressive than his. While her father urges police officers to kill drug dealers, she talks about rehabilitating drug addicts. Relations with her father are said to be strained, and Ms Duterte's latest manoeuvring has put some distance between them. But whatever their stylistic and personal differences... If elected, Ms Duterte may try to protect Mr Duterte from international prosecutors 
investigating whether the killing of thousands of Filipinos in his war on drugs was a crime against humanity. Other contenders for the presidency include Manny Pacquiao, a former world champion boxer, Isco Moreno, Manila's mayor, and Ferdinand Marcos Jr., son of the Philippines' former dictator. Many voters seem to regard a capability to govern as hereditary. Mr. Duterte's two immediate predecessors, Benigno Aquino and Gloria Arroyo, were the offspring of presidents. To capitalize on this and avoid splitting the vote, Ms. Duterte and Mr. Marcos may even share a ticket. Even by the volatile standards of Philippine politics, expect much drama between now and May. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Louis Brandeis, who was born on this day in 1856. It is the function of speech to free men from the bondage of irrational fears. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.